0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. And uh, so we're going through this series. We've been in chapter 5 for a long time. We kind of gave an overview of chapter 5, and now we're kind of going section by section, getting into the weeds, and and trying to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate. Remember that this is part, chapter 5 is part of a larger section. This is Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. So this this sermon is three chapters long, so we kind of... Jokingly said, "Wow, you know, we uh, us ministers up here at the podium, we can go a long time, right? Um, so did Jesus. Um, so this is a long sermon, and we're just taking our time going through it. And Jesus starts this sermon. So let's let's just kind of set the tone or set the picture here. He he calls his disciples." He's preaching the word. He's teaching. He's doing ministry. He's traveling around. And part of his ministry is healing. So he's healing people. And, um, and it's through this healing that word starts to spread throughout all the region. And people are like, man, I know somebody that needs, that is sick, that is in great need of healing. And so they start bringing and gathering all these people, it draws this huge crowd to Jesus and he's healing those who are sick, those who are in need of healing, but he draws this huge crowd. Now, Matthew makes this distinction between the disciples and the crowds. Jesus calls the disciples, but it's through the ministry that these crowds gather and start following him as well. And so he takes this opportunity to go up to this mountain, turn around, and sit down and begin to teach. And he's speaking basically to two audiences. He's speaking to those he called as disciples. But he's also teaching these crowds as well. And through that, he starts in a, I would say, in an uncharacteristic way. He starts with these beatitudes. Beatitudes means these blessings. And these are the blessings. He says, blessed are the one who um, are poor in spirit and those who mourn and who are meek and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And blessed are those who are merciful and pure in heart and who are peacemakers. So he's describing these, I would say, character traits and saying that you are blessed If this is what you reflect, if this is, this is how you carry yourself, if, if this is the heart and what he's saying here is he's pointing to this, that this is, this is the heart of the promised King. This is the King's heart. This is, this is Jesus's heart. And so the call is, in Matthew, what we're seeing here, that the broad idea or the main idea is to follow the promised King into his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom. Well, in order to do that, we must have a heart like our promised King. That's the way in which we are to follow him in heart. So this is the character, or the character or the heart of Jesus the promised King and we are to follow the same path. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's basically a summary of these blessings or this or the character traits that Jesus unpacks for us. So then after that, he tells his audience that unless their righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's poor in spirit enter the kingdom of heaven. But unless your righteousness, he gets to righteousness, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, what is he saying here? Because the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they followed the law to the T. They invented laws and policies and procedures in order to, follow the Mosaic law even better than anyone else. And so what is Jesus saying here? And the question is, what does he mean by exceeding when it comes to righteousness? And so we we think of exceeding as maybe being better or doing it even more perfect, right? And that's not what he's saying. How can we exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, wonderful thing is Jesus gives us some examples of what he means. And that continues on in verse 21. So so he says in verse 20, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 21 and continuing on explains what he means by that. So here's verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. It's the law that is good. Don't murder. Yeah, that's what the Pharisees and scribes. They don't murder. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So what he's doing here is is describing what he means by exceeding. And it's not just doing more or, or performing the law outwardly, but what he's doing is getting to the heart. And he does this again and again, Jesus is setting the bar higher when it comes to their righteousness. So the Pharisees, the scribes, they do this well. Okay. So the, the standard is high there with the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus is going higher. And here's why. Because it's not just about performing the law. It's about the heart behind following the law. So a great example of this, we can just go to small children. We do this too. But we can go to small children, right? That's a, should I name names? <laughs> Whoever it is, I'm not going to name names. Brush your teeth. <sighs> Alright. Or whatever it may be. Clean your room. <sighs> okay, dad. Whatever. Get off your phone. Right? So so you see that response compared to, hey, no problem. Glad to. Right? <laughs> you laugh like 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 I've never heard that before in my life. <laughs> Me neither. No, I'm just kidding. But you can kind of, you, you can definitely. The response they're going, they're doing it, they're obeying the law. But it's the heart behind the law. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. And so he's giving these examples, and we're like in the midst of these examples, right? So about anger, about uh, adultery, um, that it's not just adultery, but it's the. Um, The intent, lustful intent of the heart is adultery, about divorce and remarriage, about taking oaths. He's taking these things from the Old Testament. He's pointing them out. Here's what the law says. I'm challenging you to go deeper. And it's not about just performance. It's about the heart. Okay? So that's where we've been and actually where we're going to continue because this is the last section here. We're finally going to get out of chapter five, but through this, boy, I I don't know about you, but man, uh, Jesus has been stepping on my toes. This is not an easy, this is not easy. This is, this is some, some hard sayings and it pierces to our heart and our souls because it's not, it's, it's easy for me to point out there and be like, yeah them, you know, I can kind of sit next to Jesus and look out to the crowd and the disciples like, yeah, what he said. No, he's, he's speaking to my heart as well. I think he's speaking to all of our hearts. So that's how we need to hear this this morning. So let me give you the main idea. I've broken this down into two sections of what he's talking about here. I'm going to read it to you here in a minute. But here's the main idea the promised king jesus is calling all his followers to resemble resemble him to reflect him by practicing extraordinary grace and love towards enemies okay that's a, it's a mouthful so let me read it again it's up there but you can i'm going to say it slow so if you're recording this writing it down the promised King, who is Jesus, is calling all his followers to resemble him by practicing extraordinary grace and love towards enemies. So with that, let's read Matthew chapter five, verses thirty-eight through forty-eight. If you would stand with me in honor of the reading of the word, I'd like to do this, plus it maybe wakes you up a little bit. It says this, verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be, the, may be sons of your Father who is in heaven." For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet one and only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Let me pray. Oh Lord, as we hear these words, these are strong words. They're challenging. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we will weigh them, that um that we would would hear them and weigh them um, in a way that that you're speaking them to us, Lord, so that we wouldn't just water them down or excuse them or justify our understanding of it, but that we would really listen and hear what you have for us. These are heavy, heavy commands and words. So Lord, um, would we hear them? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Again, I've broken these verses down into two sections. The first is verses 38 through 42. And to summarize what this is, these verses, this is it right here. Number one, instead of justice, Jesus calls his followers to extraordinary grace. All right, so how does this look? Matthew chapter 5, let's just look at the first verse, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So again, Jesus is going back to the book of Moses, in fact, or uh, the law of Moses, which uh, this command is in three different books of the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And it's among a list of commands about how Israel is to set up their nation. So if you remember, God brings them out of Egypt and he's building a nation And in order to have a nation, you have to have a land. So he's bringing them to the land with borders. He's establishing a government and and a way to interact. And by that, he is giving laws. And there's all kinds of laws. These laws uh, are integrated in every aspect of life. So there's dietary laws. There's laws about worship. There's laws of how you interact with others outside of the nation and also how you are to interact with others inside, your brothers and sisters inside the nation. And when things go wrong, when someone does wrong to you, what are the consequences? What is the punishment? So he's, he's building this structure for government and these laws uh, that you that the nation of Israel is to uphold. So he's creating this nation and of course nation needs laws and one of these laws is what we would call a civil law we would put it in that category the civil law of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth and so it's this picture that you would say it's a picture of justice okay of justice so there's there's two reasons for civil laws all right one, the civil law was given to restrain evil, all right? So if there was no law, there would be chaos, and people would just run around and do terrible things to each other all the time. And we see this throughout history, where there is no law, we we see what happens. It goes all the way back from to Genesis. I mean, it kind of starts with murder. There wasn't a law about murder, and all of a sudden, we see murder, and it continues on till finally... God brings the law, do not murder, right? And that there is a punishment for murder. And we see this throughout history. Where there is no justice, there is chaos. There is evil run amok. And uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, really summarizes this or encapsulates this in the book of Romans chapter one. And so this is kind of a, a, a look um like a 10,000 foot look of what I, I'm trying to describe here. This is Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 24. This is this is humanity that he's talking about. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So um, if you continue on in this reference, Paul keeps going in this. He's saying that there's this rejection of God and his ways, and then God is just giving them over to what they want to do, and that is evil, and it brings about more and more chaos and evil until the very end of this chapter of Romans, chapter 1, where he lists off all the kinds of things that take place, including, and I love this one, inventing all kinds of evil. So not only are they just doing the evil that they normally do, they're, they're, you know, they're going outside the box and inventing ways of doing evil. And that's what tends to happen in humanity where there is no justice, where there is no law, chaos ensues. And so God gives the law and he's giving this law, an eye for an eye and tooth to Tooth for tooth to restrain evil. That's saying, listen, if you do evil, do you wrong, there's going to be consequences. And in that there's a restraint. Also, though, well, yeah, there's a second purpose of the law, and that is to administer justice. To administer justice. So when evil is not restrained and someone is harmed in some way, because you can't perfectly restrain evil, it is going to seep out. It is going to happen. When someone is harmed in some way, the civil law is designed to make right the wrong that had been done. Okay. So we, we see that today. Um, and this is what Jesus is referring to when it comes to an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Here's the wonderful thing of what it's describing here is that the the punishment is supposed to equal or uh, be in proportion to the crime. All right. So instead of going extreme where it's um, life for an eye or, you know, your arms for your tooth, right? That's a little bit of a misproportion there. It's it's, um, the kind of the idea, you know, with little kids where the the little kid, they're sitting in the back seat of the car and the other one smacks the other one. And he's like, don't smack me. And so he smacks him a little bit harder. And the kid's like, well, I'm going to smack you even harder, right? And and that escalation comes up, right? This intensity. And so um, it's this picture, though, of when it comes to justice, that it's not overextending what is required when it comes to punishment. So the punishment must be in proportion to the crime. So, um, you know, we, we have that, the statue of justice, right? Um, and the scales and the hopes is, is in our justice system that the scales are balanced in a sense of justice, that the punishment fits the crime. And so that's what this law was meant for. Um, And here's the thing it reflects God. It reflects God as perfectly just. He doesn't require less than what is deserved, nor does he require more from the trespassers than deserved. Therefore, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a proper example of God's perfect justice he bestows on sinners. Now, the question is, is, how does that work? How does that work? How does God balance justice with what we'll see here as grace? And we will hopefully get to that at the end of this message. But the point is, is that there has to be balance and that balance reflects God's justice. Okay, so here's, that's, that's the Old Testament. That was the Mosaic law. Now in verse 39, Jesus says something quite surprising. He says, but I say to you, this is verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. give the one who begs or demands is that in there in the passage I put that in mine yeah and quote that's that's mine parentheses that's my uh to help us understand what he means by begs, give to the one who begs or demands from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So this is the surprise. This is where we should take the step back and wait, say, wait a minute here. Justice, justice is good. We like justice. We want justice. You're calling us something different. This is contrary to what we just heard from the law. And so what is Jesus doing here? Well, I think he's calling us back to and, under, um, and reminding us of verse 7, where he said, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. He is calling us to mercy because that is his heart as well. That's what he's unpacking for us. He's calling us to mercy because that is his heart. He has shown us mercy. You see, as sinners fall short of the glory of God, we deserve God's wrath. Romans chapter 5 tells us this in verse 8 and 9. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? How, what are we saved from? The wrath of God. We were sinners... We deserve God's wrath. God, through Jesus, withholds his wrath. This is a wonder description of God's mercy towards us sinners. He he withholds wrath. He is merciful to us. And so this is the heart of God. And if this is the heart of God, and if this is the heart of Jesus, our promised king, we are to follow him with that same heart. So, blessed are the merciful. We are called to be merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, this might sound pretty extreme, but it still falls short to how extreme Jesus' command really is. Notice that we are not just to. So, so here's the examples. You can jump to this, Ian. Uh, verses 39 through 41. I have these uh, pass sections of this passage underlined. Notice how he describes what we are to do. So this is chapter 5, verses 39 through 41. Right? Do not resist the one who is evil. So that's the principle. Do not resist the one who is evil. Now he's going to describe what that looks like. It says, turn to him. If, if he slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So notice this. It's not when somebody mistreats you or does something to you, that you just forgive and walk away. What's he saying? He's saying you are to respond in a different way. You are to act. You are to move in a different way. So this is the distinction between mercy and grace. Okay, so mercy, for an example, um, in a court of law, right? Someone does wrong, and they're sentenced, and the judge might come and say, you know what? Um, life in prison, but I'm going to show mercy, and give you 20 years. It's showing mercy, or whatever it may be. You know, f- five five years in prison, but you know what? You've you've already been in for four, so we'll just give you one more, and then you can be on probation or whatever, like that's showing mercy. It's, it's giving someone, um, it's, what is it? Not giving someone what they deserve, All right? This is what they re- deserve, but we're not going to give it to them. That's mercy. Jesus goes beyond that and he's telling us to go beyond that as well, to show mercy. Grace. And so grace is not just not giving someone what they deserve, it's actually giving them something they don't deserve. It's giving something that they don't deserve. They deserve wrath, they're going to get something else. And this is what Jesus is calling us to. This is the picture when he says, when someone slaps you in the face, give them the other. Or um, if they sue you for your tunic, you give them your cloak. Or if they make you go a mile, you go an extra mile. He is telling us we are to display or give grace to those who don't deserve it, who are mistreating us, and therefore deserve justice. And he's telling us as followers, we're not the ones to impart justice. We are called to impart grace. This is what he's saying here. So how do we do this in our lives? How do we show grace? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 23 is just a great example of this. This is just one out of many. I want to read this to you um, because I think it's helpful. There's some principles in here that are helpful, even though it doesn't apply perfectly to our time. In some ways, it does, though. Okay, so verse 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. So we don't have masters and servants, but we do have... Employees and employers, right? We do work for people. We're, we're under their authority. Um, they give us, they provide for us. Kind of similar. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, listen to that, hear that. When mindful of God. So this is coming out of um, a mindset of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. (sighs) Ooh, that is not what I think of when I am suffering unjustly. I do not think that is a graciousness of God that it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Do you? I don't. For this you have been called. Ah, oh, can I have a different one? Can I have a different calling, please? Because Christ, here's the reason why it's our calling. As followers of Christ, this is why it's our calling, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Again, it comes down to this. As followers of Jesus Christ, our role or our calling is not to implement justice. It is to be gracious and entrust ourselves to the father who will judge justly. Friends, this is a wonderful thing. It's hard. It's difficult it goes against, at least for me, every every ounce of of um, my of what I think is good and right to do. <laughs> I want justice. God says no. There's another path we are called to walk. So instead of justice, Jesus calls his followers to extraordinary grace to extraordinary grace. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does this look like in our lives? What does it look like to step out and show grace to those who mistreat us, treats us unfairly? Let me give you, I'll give you a a quick example of this. And of course, um, I don't think this is a perfect example I think I've shared with this with you a few times. Um, I remember, so I used to work at UPS. I loved working at UPS. Um, I remember switching from mornings to evenings, which means I had different supervisors over me. And as I was, um, I was there for quite a while, which means that there were things that I knew, and I was even older than some of these supervisors that were over me which caused some conflict within my heart, right, of who knows better. And so I saw one of these supervisors mistreat, not necessarily me, although probably mistreated me, but mistreated someone else, which set me off. And from then on, um, my perception of the authority of not just that supervisor, but all those supervisors in that evening, my perception of them changed, and I turned into um, a rebel, let's say, where I wasn't going to listen to anything any of them said. I, I was I was I was pretty angry, and uh, justifiably so. No but I thought I was justified because of how somebody was mistreated and how this person treated. So, so it spread within me. I was bitter. I was upset. And so I remember once walking with another guy and and it was at the end of the night. And we're, we're kind of like, just kind of talking and interacting while we're doing our work. We weren't doing it as quickly and as efficiently as the supervisor wanted us to. And so we got called out on it. And I looked over at him. This is bad. Oh, my goodness, this is a pastor. And I turned around and didn't say anything and just kept moseying on, which infuriated this, this, uh, um, this supervisor. All right, so what happens? Later that night, I think it was the same night. I can't remember. I'm sitting in this office doing some work and he comes in and he is angry. And so he goes off on me. He just tears into me. And he goes, "I'm writing you up." And I'm like, "Go for it." No, I didn't do that. No, as actually though what happened was when he was laying into me, um I'm like, "Wow." Um I call myself a Christian. Because he was it wasn't that he noticed that I was not listening to him, but also some of the other supervisors were actually were pretty nice supervisors. And so he was calling me out on all this, right? So I mean it was like boom 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 boom. And it just weighed heavily on me and I said, Here I am supposed to be a follower of Jesus and look at the kind of example that I'm that I'm I am. And so, like, right then, God convicted me, and so I, and this is not me, but I told him, I said, you know what? You're right. And he's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you're right. I acted like a jerk. He had a different word, but I can't say that here. But I was like, I have been acting like a jerk. You, you need to write me up. I'm okay with write you writing me up. I'm not I'm not saying this to get out of that. Write me up, but but I'm gonna work at this. And I think it kind of took him back that I would do something along those lines, but that's not the point. The point is, is I started to have to change. And I was determined no matter what they did or how they mistreated me, I was going to respect them as my authority in various ways and be very intentional about it. And, and, and I worked at that, even though sometimes it was hard. So here's, it was kind of a long illustration, but here's my point in this, is that there are specific things that we can think of in our lives where we can show grace to others, whether it's something simple as someone cutting us off or being angry or stepping in front of us in line or whatever it may be throughout our days where we feel like we're being mistreated, this is what God is getting to. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Do you want to implement justice and retaliation? Or is it grace and mercy? All right. Number one. That was number one, right? That was a long one. Here's the second one. This comes from verses 43 through 48. Love your enemies is a perfect reflection of our heavenly father. Loving your enemies is a perfect reflection of our heavenly father. So Matthew chapter five, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you go back to this command, it's not, Um, Jesus is not quoting here. We talked about this in Sunday school. It does say to love your neighbor. It doesn't say hate your enemy. But I think what Jesus is doing here is giving a summary or a perspective of what the nation of Israel was to um, implement in this law, because there is this aspect where they were to go out and take down their enemies, whether it's the Philistines or the Canaanites, this was God's pronouncement of judgment upon other nations and their sin against him. Okay. So it's basically God's enemies are are Israel's enemies. And that's how this perspective was back then. And so King David, for example, in the Psalms, boy, he was harsh to God's enemies. He said some pretty harsh things to them. And so that was like the mentality of the time. And Jesus is going, you know what? I'm calling you something different. Says love your, en- or love your neighbors and hate your enemies. This is what I say. Right? Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So here, Jesus gives one of the most challenging and difficult commands. It goes against every inclination in our hearts. It doesn't make sense. It is not the way we do things, especially even if we look into our culture. And so here's the interesting thing. I was trying to find an example. What does this look like? And I mean, I was, I was searching. I was thinking of a real time right here, where do we see this in our day? To love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. It was hard to find. (laughs) I was thinking back to a movie and I couldn't remember the movie, but uh, Pastor Jeff and Cindy, I know you guys watched it. Couldn't find it and I didn't feel like calling you guys. But um, I I found this wonderful example. Um, It's an article. It was from 2010. So I'm going to read this to you because I think this is really powerful. Um, Here's how it starts. Forgiving someone is perhaps one of the most challenging things to do, especially when the damage that is done is permanent. However, Mary Johnson found it in her heart to forgive a criminal following his release from prison in 2010. Johnson previously shared the tragic day she lost her only son, 20-year-old Lamarian Bird. Bird is his last name. At the time, someone called her at work and said her son's body was at the morgue. After police confirmed that the deceased man was Bird, Johnson's world went black. After 3 days she found out her murdered uh, after 3 days she found out who murdered her son it was a 16-year-old boy named Oshea Israel Johnson's son was shot in the head during a party in Minneapolis, Minnesota and Israel was the man who pulled the trigger that led to his death. She said, "Here was I, a Christian woman full of hatred. I was pleased He was going to be tried as an adult for first-degree murder. So when the judge suddenly changed the charge to second-degree murder, mercy, I was mad. Admittedly, Johnson saw Israel as nothing less than an animal. Although she later said she forgave him, deep inside, her anger still ran deep. The two have since shared not just a front porch, but also a wonderful story that continues to inspire forgiveness. For the next two years, Johnson wanted to be alone and resented everyone around her. Then one day, she came across a poem about two mothers, the mom of a murder child and the mom of a murderer. The piece of literature moved her in ways no one else could. In fact, she envisioned an organization that would support mothers whose kids were murdered and those whose children were murderers. I knew that I would never be able to deal with these mothers if I hadn't really forgiven O'Shea, she said. So she went out of her way to meet him in prison. Johnson and Israel talked for hours. And during this time, she saw how sorry he was. And after that, she was able to find it in her heart to forgive the man who murdered her son, hoping to help the boy even more. Helping, hoping to help the boy even more. Not just forgiving, not just mercy, but grace. Hear this. Johnson organized a welcoming party for Israel after his time behind bars. Israel was a different person and wanted to share his story with others, hoping to be a beacon of hope. I couldn't believe he wanted to do this, Johnson said. He is my spiritual son. Did you hear that? Mercy, forgiveness. Jesus demands more. Grace. He is my spiritual son now. It's not easy for us to stand next to each other again and again and share our story. But I say to other mothers that talking and sharing your story is the road to healing. Friends, this is what it looks like. This is an example in today's society of loving your enemies. This is a follower of Jesus Christ who did not do it perfectly, did she? This was painful, this was hard, and God had to take her on a journey to take that hardened heart towards this young man who took her son's life, to take that heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh that she may forgive him, to show mercy and also to show grace to show grace, to celebrate him coming out of prison with others, showing grace. It actually says in the article too that uh, she, she um, gave him the house next to hers for him to live in. This is showing grace and love to your enemies and this is what God is calling us to do. So how does this look How does this look in our own lives? Romans chapter 12 verses 17 through 21 says it this way, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So it starts with doing what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, So with all of our strength, whatever is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With all. No exceptions. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Okay. But leave it to the wrath of God. Give it to him. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, instead... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil. How are we overcome by evil? What happens when we are overcome by evil? We retaliate, we hit back harder. And so the cycle of evil continues. Jesus is calling us to break the cycle of evil by loving our enemies. This is our call as followers. It does not make sense in our sensible minds. The world would say that we are justified in retaliating and hitting back, but Jesus walks a different path he walked the path of mercy and grace to his enemies and he's calling us to do the same. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, "For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life." We were enemies of God. We were rebels. And Jesus grabbed a hold of us and showed us mercy and grace. He didn't just forgive us and then send us on our merry way. He adopted us as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. This is the path that Jesus walked before us. He's calling us to follow him. May we do so in all faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can just work through these passages and there's, there's so much more we did not discuss. But Father, when it really gets down to it, Lord, these are hard teachings and our hearts are turned often in a different direction. But Lord, I pray that it through the Spirit that you can challenge us to walk this path as well, to show mercy, forgiveness, and grace to those who mistreat us, to those we deem as enemies, to those that we may think do not deserve it. Lord, may we have a heart like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.